Well, welcome to week two of our series that we're calling uh, Adulting. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about killing the maturity killers in your life. Killing maturity killers. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm about to kill something up in her. <laughs> you can do that in church. It's okay. We're looking at the letter that the uh, disciple John wrote, 1 John, uh, all through this series. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to be looking at all of chapter 2, but I've uh, lifted out a portion we're going to read out loud together. It's our practice to read the scriptures together out of uh, respect for, for God's word. We stand, and so thank you for doing that. I'll read it aloud. You can follow along on the screen. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Read that last whole phrase, but whoever. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. If you've got notes, uh, the note sheet that you were handed on the discipleship guide, where you can pull those out, and we're going to be going through those this morning. I want to talk to you about, uh, as we jump into this, uh, what's normal for when you're trying to adult? Uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the path to being a normal adult? I would, I would say that it's, we're hard-pressed uh, today for anyone to say that anything is normal anymore. I, I, I kind of think that most of us feel, uh, even if we don't believe this, we feel the pressure from the culture around us to say that it might even be oppressive to suggest that you have normal all figured out because if you say this is normal, what you're inherently saying to someone else is, if they don't agree with you, is that they're not normal, right? It just feels kind of weird. We're, we're really confused about that. So there's a tension. Um, there's a confusion in our day about what normal is and is not. And so we need guidance. Uh, but at the same time, there's the reality to that because we, we are now wrestling as a culture with shame and anxiety at a level we haven't in a really, really long time. And so not only do we need guidance, but we need grace for each other because there's some reality to the fact that you and I are different and we see things differently and we have different perspectives. But I want to try, if I can, because uh, this is what First John is doing, what John's doing for us, is to sketch what a, a pattern of normal might be. That we maybe could agree on. And, and the pattern that John lays out for us is a biological pattern that we follow. We go from being young children to young men or young women to being a, hopefully, a father and a mother. And this is normal. Now, when you're a child, if you have a normal childhood, whatever that might be, uh, I, if, if you had the kind of childhood that you look back and go, that was good. You have things like joy and hope and curiosity, and as a child, you're looking up for guidance, and your parents or parent, they give you some guidance. That's what's supposed to happen. It doesn't happen for everybody, but it's supposed to happen, and then you grow into a young man or a young woman, and you're vibrant, and you're alive, and you're curious, and you're sharp, and you start looking out for direction in your life, and then if you keep on that path, you become a father or mother. And, and if, you, if you do that, and, and now there's a lot of trepidation that all of us feel as we're trying to raise our children, 
But when you, when you really settle into the zone of father or mother in a, in a normal, good way, there's peace, there's confidence, and instead of looking up for guidance or looking out for direction, you're looking back at the people that you're trying to raise to give life to them. Now listen, you may say, well, I'm never going to be, I'm single, I'm never going to have children. Okay, well, that, that, you, you biologically might not be a father or a mother, but you can become the kind of person who gives life back to people, whether you're married or not. That's, that's not the, the reality. So, uh, but I, 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 this is my argument, is that biology, the pattern that God has put into our biological systems, maps our soul. And so if that's the pattern for us biologically, then it's also the pattern for our life before God. So God wants us, let me talk to the men, God wants us to be a son that he welcomes into his family and says, you belong here. You're important. You're beloved. I'm proud of you. You're my son. The way Christians talk about that is you say, we have to be converted from what we were into sons of God. Then you become a, a young man in God's family who carry God's values and God's heart. There's, there's spiritual growth. The word in the Bible for that is sanctification, to be made holy. God's making you into a different kind of person. And then, spiritually speaking, the goal would be that you would become a father who leads in God's family and gives life. You, you bear fruit is the language that Jesus used. This is, this is the pattern. If you're a guy and, and you're trying to follow Jesus, this is the pattern. Same holds true for you if you're a woman. That's that same pattern. But here's, here's the reality. If, if you don't know, and this is if you're taking notes, if you don't know what maturity is, you'll always be searching for something else. And not in the sense of, this is a great journey that I'm on, and what fun it is that I'm on this journey, but in the sense that you'll never feel satisfied. They'll always, well, this didn't do it. Well, maybe the next thing will do it. If you don't know what maturity is, you'll always be searching for something else. And so I want to suggest to you that Jesus is the pattern for a fully grown-up person. Jesus is the pattern for a fully grown-up person. But here's what I know. Uh, the, the pattern always gets interrupted. Something kills our growth in maturity. Something always interrupts us. That can happen on a physical level. Uh, I've, if you've been around, you've seen pictures of our, our friends Walt and Tracy Cochran and their daughter, uh, their son Trent, who just graduated high school. Some of my wife and I's best friends, we, we double dated in college together and, and we've been friends ever since. And then they had a daughter, Lindsay. And we've got a picture here of Lindsay. Uh, and Lindsay has SMA. SMA is a genetic disease. If you go to the, the Texas Roadhouse uh, and you check in, her picture is right there with MDA. It's a picture of Lindsay. We walked in one day and went, hey, it's Lindsay. And Lindsay has this genetic disease that interrupted her normal pattern of growth. She'll never walk. She's bright as can be. Can hardly function, use her... It's something interrupted. That's the, that's the tragedy when something interrupts the normal pattern of growth is the potential doesn't get fully realized. Now, this can happen on other levels. It can happen socially. It can happen emotionally and psychologically. If you've gone through abuse or trauma, your growth gets stunted. So this morning, I want to talk to you about some maturity killers, three of them, and then what you need to do about them to kill those maturity killers. Because if you don't kill the maturity killers, they stunt your growth, and you never reach the place where you're a person who gives life back to other people. You stay a young child. You stay a young man, you never get to the place where you're giving life back to people. That's the, that's the goal. Uh, we, our son, Corbin, our middle son, when he was uh, young, I don't know where he picked this up, but he, he never learned to say his consonants. 
And so uh, he, if you, if you said, I want to go to the store, it would sound like, I, uh, 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 or. <laughs> and we, we, for the longest time, couldn't understand, and his older brother, Hudson, would interpret for him, and we would look at him, and he'd say, oh, he said, I want to go to the store. <laughs> oh, okay. And so what we did, because if we didn't interrupt that pattern, uh, he would never reach maturity. He would go to school, and he'd be made fun of, and he'd be mocked. So we got him some help. We sent him to a speech therapist, and now if you interact with Corbin, he's 11, he speaks very distinctly, enunciates every syllable, uh, because he's, he's killed the maturity killer, and, and that's, that's what I want for you, is that we could kill the maturity killer, and, and this is what John's saying, is that you can grow into a spiritual mother or father. So we're going to talk about what those three things are. Let me tell you the first one, um, uh, first mature, maturity killer is this, is that you run away when you screw up. First maturity killer, run away when you screw up. This is how John says it in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not, what's, what's the word? So that you will not sin. In other words, John says the goal is that you would not screw up. But what John is saying to us, the reality is that you do screw up. Now, let me give you some basic Christian teaching about humanity and about human nature. The basic Christian teaching about humanity and human nature is that all of us are held captive to sin. All of us. Every person that you know is contaminated by sin. It's like spiritual Ebola. You, you get it. I think I've got a picture here of Ebola, the, the you have to dress like that to get away from it, right? You have to avoid it. It's like spiritual Ebola, and everyone's affected. Good people, bad people, in-between people. All of us have the same kind of fate. So because that's, that's the reality, that all of us are contaminated, then you can always know two basic things about people. Number one, people are broken. There are, there are two kinds of people. People who know that they are broken, and number two, people who don't yet know that they are broken, in other words, everybody you know in some way, this is, this is the basic Christian teaching about all of us, is broken in some way, and because of that, everybody screws up. Everybody. Now, the million-dollar question is, what are you going to do when you screw up? Well, you, you got all kinds of options. I mean, you can try to cover it up. You can t- try to pretend it didn't happen. You can ignore it and, and make like it's not a big deal. I just would say all of those are forms of running away. Do you remember when you were a kid and you would do something that you knew was wrong? And I, I, th- I think this is almost universal. What would you do? You'd go hide. I, I remember more than once with my kids, uh, they would do something and we found out that they'd you know, broken something and... And then we'd search through the house, and then I remember one time vividly, our oldest son was underneath the covers in the summer, sweating, hiding, because he knew that he had screwed up, and he felt in himself as a little teeny kid, I somehow have to distance myself from what I just did. And he hid. And and that's... That's honestly, this is, this is why it's a maturity killer. You're always going to have that temptation when you screw up because you're, you're going to screw up because that's part of human nature. 
That's Christian teaching. And, and you think, well, okay, then that's what I have to do, and, and God maybe won't receive me, or maybe other people won't receive me, or I can't even receive myself. And every instinct in you will tell you when you screw up, run away and hide. Don't let anybody know about this. This, this whole impulse is a maturity killer, and it will stunt your growth. And since you and I are, are Scripture says, since we are sinners, we'll always be running from something, Right? What do you do about it instead? So instead of, instead of letting it kill you, here's how you kill it. You have to embrace grace. Embrace grace. So John goes on. He says, uh, listen, um, it, it, I'm writing this to you, dear children, so that you won't sin. Then, then he says this, but if anybody does sin. And that word there, if, it can be when or whenever or every time. If anybody does sin. Then he goes on, he says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Human nature is that we all screw up. And so when you do, just remember, you have an advocate before God, Jesus, the righteous one. The word uh, there is um, a, a, a Greek word, if you don't know, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the word there is two words put together, and it means someone who is called alongside. Uh, it's used uh, in the Gospels for the Holy Spirit, how God call, is called alongside us. When I, was, uh, when I was 15, my mom was diagnosed with uh, a rare form of cancer. She ended up, when I, three days after, ended my sophomore year of high school, passing away, June the 9th, uh, 1989. So this will be, wow, long time, 30 years ago. Uh, when, when someone dies, what happens, if you've never gone through this, I'm sure the majority of you have, is you have a, a viewing, and there's the, the, the casket, and then the family kind of stands to the side, and everybody comes by and expresses their condolences. And I remember I called one of my best friends. We'd moved from Springfield, Missouri, to Dallas, Texas, where my dad was pastoring a church. And so I called one of my best friends, and I said, hey, could you, do you think you could come down, and do you think that you could uh, be there for my mom's funeral? He said, sure. So his parents put him on a plane, flew down, and I, I don't remember anything. My friend's name was Jared. I don't remember anything that Jared said to me. I just remember during that whole viewing that Jared stood right here, my friend. He stood alongside me. And I, I don't, he didn't say it. Maybe, I'm sure he said something. But I just remember that there was someone beside me that was in my corner. This is the idea that John, this is, this is the reality John's trying to get there's somebody, when you screw up, there is somebody that is in your corner. You have an advocate. You have someone who is your defender, who speaks on your behalf. And when anybody questions your record, says, no, 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 because this is how Christianity works. Don't judge them on my, don't judge them on their record. Judge them on my record. Here, give, here's my record. Judge them on my record. And, and then John says, and so Jesus is the, then the atoning sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the world. He puts us at one. It's the root meaning of that word, atonement. So when, when you sin, Jesus is the one who puts you back together. And so the word from Jesus for you today is that when you screw up, you don't have to run. That's what grace is. It's the message that you don't have to run away when you screw up. You don't have to, you don't have to do that. 
The writer to Hebrews in the New Testament says it this way, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Notice, he doesn't say, let us then approach uh, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive shame and find condemnation to beat us up in our time of need. Isn't that how most of us usually feel? Like, ah, I screwed up again. No, no, receive mercy and find grace to help us. Listen, The grace of God is not dependent on how well you have done. It is not a paycheck. It is not earned by you. The grace of God comes from the the character of God, not your performance. John even starts out his his letter, and he says that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's where the grace of God comes from. It comes from the character of God, and grace is how God solves problems, and so you can run to God when you screw up. You have to embrace grace. That's how you kill the maturity killer of wanting to run away when you screw up. You have to embrace grace. Second uh, maturity killer is that you would miss the maker for what he made. You would miss the maker for what he made. Uh, This is how John says it in, in the passage we read. He says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. Now, let me, let me talk to you about this for a second because you may have read this in the scriptures and gone, what in the world is, is the Bible talking about here? Am I supposed to love the world? What, what do you mean? And I think it's worth a, a five-minute deep dive. And, and you may have experienced, especially if you know another thing that John wrote, some cognitive dissonance because John is the disciple, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, these letters in the latter part of the New Testament. But he also wrote the Gospel of John, and maybe you're familiar with John 3, 16. Gets held up at football games. You know John 3, 16 says? Same guy, wrote the same words. He said in John 3, 16, what? For God so loved the world. And then here in 1 John, he's saying, don't love the world. What, what, are, you, what are you saying, John? What, what's your deal? Why are you telling us two separate things? things. What, what gives? Well, it, this is why it's worth a deep dive, because the world is used in two ways. There, there's the world that God made, and so God loves what God has made. But then the world, the way John uses it here, is, is that we can love what God made and miss God. D- do you see that? So the world is uh, a set of, uh, it's a culture, it's a set of beliefs, and it's the values of a society, it's, a, it's the force that drives people, it's a power that controls people. Like the Apostle Paul, he wrote in, in Romans chapter 12, and he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible, in other words, says don't be a conformist. It will stunt your growth, and you will miss the maker for what he made. So then, then, then John, just to make sure we get the point, he zeroes in on what he means, and he says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it doesn't come from God, it comes from the world. Now that's a really strong word, lust. Um, it, it's, uh, it's about the desire to use. Now love is a, a, a stronger word, it's about the desire to care for someone, and if you're dating somebody, and you want to know, does this person love me? You're like, we're in love. Oh, really? Um, Often, often, uh, someone's not in love with you, they're in, in lust with you, and, and so here's how you know the difference. Does this person want to use me, or does this person actually care for me? Because if they're in lust with you, they're using you to meet their needs, but when they're in love with you, 
they are caring for you at the expense of their own needs. So make sure you figure that out before you say, yeah, I'd like to be with you and maybe marry you. Make sure you make sure that you actually love each other and you're not just in lust with each other. And so he, he maps this out for us. He says the lust of the flesh, the, the cravings and desires. And, and really, he's talking about a, a sexual component. And, and what he's trying to say is, listen, God made sex, but we misuse sex, so why don't you find out what God made sex for? Otherwise, you'll always be confused. Uh, then he says the lust of the eyes is that you want what you don't have, and so you want what someone else has, and so you have things like jealousy and envy and uh, you're, you're always looking around going, oh, I'd like to have that. I'd like to have that. Oh, they have that? I'd like to have that. And then he says the pride of life where you feel better than other people for all kinds of reasons. Uh, you feel better than other people because you make more money than them or you feel better than other people because of the job that you have or you feel better than people because of the car that you drive or you feel better than people because of the house you live in or the stuff that you have or the trips that you take. And, and John says, listen, these are maturity killers. They will kill you if you love the world. So how do you kill it? Well, you have to love God first. Let me explain what I mean by that. John says the world and its desires pass away. So the lust of the flesh, uh, that, that, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they're all temporary. Just say to your neighbor, just wait. This is all going to be different in a few days. Can you say that to him? This will all be different in a few days. Uh, If you were to go to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, uh, and you were to read the book of Ecclesiastes, great book, Um, the book of Ecclesiastes is an experiment of someone who had literally everything, and they tried every possible avenue to find meaning in life. They tried money, they tried fame, they tried property, they tried wisdom, they tried sexuality. And this, is, this was the testimony of the person who went on this kind of scientific experiment trying to find meaning in life um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Meaningless, meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. In other words, that word could be translated It's temporary, it's temporary. It's utterly temporary. Everything is temporary. And John, in contrast, he says, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Get a tattoo of that. That's a fantastic thing to put on your body. Uh, In other words, do the will of God. Martin Luther King uh, uh, famously said in one of his last speeches, he said, I just want to do God's will. And, you know, when you love someone, you do what they want, even when you don't want to do it. So I don't, I can't tell you the number of episodes of Dora the Explorer I have watched. (laughs) I can't tell you the number of romantic movies I've sat down and watched with my wife that I don't want to, I might actually like them, but don't tell anybody, that I've sat down and watched. Why? Why? Because I love somebody, and I want to do what they want, and I decided that they're my priority, and so I want to do what they want. 
And so you could develop a question if you want to kill this maturity killer and just ask yourself, you know, is this, is this, is this your will, God? Is this what you want? Now, um, that could be a very uh, a tricky road to get down. 80% of what God wants is already revealed for us in Scripture. And so 80% of you doing God's will is you doing th- practicing things like forgiveness and mercy and not being bitter and getting rid of anger and slander and becoming a person of gentleness and peace and self-control. It's, just, it's already revealed for you in the scriptures. So if you read the scriptures, you'll find out what God's will is. That's 80% of the, of, the, of the game. 20% is, you know, am I supposed to live here? Am I supposed to marry this person? Am I supposed to do this job? God, what is it that is your will? And when you, when you go down the path of, God, I, I just want to do your will, like Martin Luther King, it's going to take you down roads you never would have gone on your own. It's going to take you to places you never would have moved. It's going to move you to, to, to do things that you never would have done on your own when you do God's will. Why? Because you're prioritizing your love for God first, meaning you're saying, I'm going to love God first before I choose to love anything else. And what you love first is what you will always end up loving most. In other words, the thing you prioritize as the most important love. You'll always love that the most. So when you love God, here's, here's, the, here's the irony. When you love God, you get all of God's world thrown in. But when you love the world, you get neither. And you miss the maker for what he made. Last thing is this, is that you would drink the spirit of the age. So uh, John says it this way. He says, dear children, this is the last hour as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last word. Now, um, John's not talking about um, all these end time speculation things. If you want to know about Revelation, we did a whole summer on Revelation last summer. You can go look at it on the website. Uh, but he, Paul, uh, John's talking about this spirit that's literally against Christ. And that could be anybody. And it's the spirit of the age that will not lead you to be like Christ. What, what, if we were to talk about this, what is it that is the spirit of our age? Uh, I would say that it's self-focused. I would say that it is shame-filled. I would say that it is anxiety-ridden. And I would say that it's divisive on the most minor details of disagreement. This is, this is a spirit that is anti-Christ. And uh, if, you, if you drink the spirit of any age, including this particular age, you will only have more of that. And so you will only have more of the inward curve where you're just focused on yourself. You'll only have more shame. You'll only have more anxiety. You'll only have more division. See, it's a maturity killer when you drink, you go like, it's, all, it's, it's awesome, I'm part of this, you know. How do you, how do you kill it? Well, you gotta kill it. You gotta, you gotta love, learn to love the truth more than your own opinion. Now, this is, this is it's super important, and it's, it's something in our day is almost offensive. Um, John says it, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you, you know the truth. What, what John's saying is not, he's not talking about you had some personal revelation, and you said, you know what, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, and therefore, uh, this is my truth that I am owning for myself. Sure, you need to own this for yourself. No, no question about that. But most of us just stop there. And we say, you know, it was, it's true for me. 
That may not be true for you, but it's true for me. And that's not what John's saying. He's not saying you have this personal thing and you just kind of let everybody else lie. He says, he's saying, listen, you're not saying that it's true for me. You're saying that it's true, period. Like, this is actually the best thing for everybody. He's not telling you to now go shove it down someone else's throat. That's not what he's saying. But you, 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 you learn instead of, I'm going to just, I love my opinion. I'm going to learn to actually love the truth, and I'm going to bring my life more in alignment with what is actually true. And, and the truth may cut against my opinion at points, and you know what? That's going to be okay with me. I, I love this. Thomas Akempis, uh, if you've never read The Imitation of Christ, it, for 500 years was the most popular devotional writing in the English language, and if you can get a translation of it. Uh, but he, he said something in there that is, uh, it's become one of the hallmarks, I've tried to make it one of the hallmarks of my life. We, it's in the sidebar of your notes right there. He said uh, about the truth, he said, we must learn to love the truth no matter where it comes from. So when you, when you become a person who loves the truth, did you know that actually makes you more humble? Because you recognize that someone who disagrees with you may actually be right. And instead of going, they're on the other side and I cannot agree with them, it makes you more humble because you love the truth more than your own opinion. And so you humble yourself and you go, oh, they might be right. And as you learn to love the truth more than your own opinion, um, you kill the thing that is killing you. Now, we have to pause uh, because uh, the, the way that we embrace anything that is true as followers of Jesus is, is two things. We, uh, we repent, which is the Bible's word for changing our mind about what we've been doing. And we believe, which is the Bible's word for we put into practice what it is that God has said to us. And, and unless you want to stay uh, an emotional and spiritual child, unless you want to stay an emotional young man or young woman, a spiritual young man or young woman, and you just want to stay there and consume things and not grow and not learn, unless you want to stay there, then you have to change how you have been thinking about your life. And then you have, to, you have to say, okay, God, I'm going to act in a different way now. And so I want to help you do that this morning. As we're, we're pausing, we're ending a little bit early this morning. You're welcome. First day of summer. <laughs> and I want to help you uh, pray a prayer of repentance and belief about these three things. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, would you? And I'm gonna, I want to guide you through... Um, I want to guide you through some prayer on this. Lord, we want to change the way that we think about what we're supposed to do when we screw up. Our inclination is to run away and hide from you. And instead, uh, would you please put in us the understanding that everything is uncovered and laid bare before you already know. 
you already know. And, and when we do sin, you are our advocate. And so we want to learn at this juncture in our journey to embrace grace. And so God, we want to repent of how we've always gone the way of, I've got to run away, I've got to hide. I've got to pretend like it doesn't exist. We want to repent of that. And we want to embrace your grace for us. And God, we, we confess that we have very often missed you for what you've made. We've loved the things in this world more than we've loved you who gave them to us as gifts and we've turned them into things that we depend on for our security. And we don't want to miss you for what you made. And so we repent of our love of the world. And in, instead of our love for the world, God, we want to love you first. We want to prioritize our love for you. And God, we want to repent of the fact that we have very often drunk the spirit of this age. And so we're filled with shame. We are driven by anxiety. Uh, we're full of fear of the person who's different than us. And we don't want to be a part of that spirit anymore. We understand that's anti-Christ. We don't want that. And so we want to we change our minds and we want to learn to love the truth more than we love our own opinion about things. And we want to act on that basis. And so, Lord, teach us to learn to love the truth no matter where it comes from. Pray that that would be what characterizes us as a church when people come to see our church, when they're a part of interacting with somebody who's a real lifer, they would say, oh, those people are different. Those people are, are they're humble, they're honest, they're courageous. They admit when they don't know something, they don't hide. I want to be like that. So here at the start of summer, when we're getting ready to go everywhere, We want to pause, and we want to move toward being spiritual fathers and mothers who give life. We want to stay on that path. And so we offer ourselves to you and take a step forward on that path today. We pray this in your name, and all God's people said, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me and leave you with a blessing as you go. You'll see people around you holding out their hands as a way of receiving a blessing. And if you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's okay. You can just receive this blessing. You're sent now to love God, to love people, to serve the world. Hug somebody, tell them you love them. See ya. <laughs>